If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for episode 36 of The Murder of My Family. If you find that you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast so that the show can continue to grow and reach new listeners. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam or by searching for The Murder of My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support this show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder of my family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also help support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout outs to any new supporters. And thank you to all the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. Thank you. And now on with the show. On the morning of October 12, 2000, 48 year old Mary Henderson Morris left her Houston, Texas area home headed for work. She never arrived there. And what followed was a mysterious chain of events with far more questions than answers. Mary Henderson Morris was a punctual and dependable employee who had worked for Chase Bank for 15 years. When Mary didn't show up for work that day, people noticed, because it wasn't like the mother of two to just not show up for work. Later that day, at around 2 p.m., a bank employee called Mary's home and reached Mary's husband, Jay Morris. This is where a puzzling interaction occurred. The bank employee, who was Mary's supervisor, simply asked if Mary was there. Jay told the caller, no, that Mary was at work. At this point, the call ended. The bank employee never told Jay that his wife didn't show up for work, and Jay Morris never bothered to ask the caller who they were. Jay Morris usually spoke to his wife of five years a few times each day. That particular day, he thought it was odd that Mary hadn't called him but he brushed it off thinking that Mary was probably just busy. But after that 2 p.m. call from Mary's supervisor, Jay decided to call the bank asking for his wife. He finally was told that Mary had not come into work that day. That's when Jay began to get nervous. Jay reported Mary missing and then called his stepdaughter Marilyn, who was Mary's daughter from a previous marriage. He wanted to let her know that her mother was missing. Marilyn met up with Jay and they headed out to see if they could find any signs of Mary or her car on some of the roads that she might have traveled during her drive to work. They never found Mary or her car. At around 5 p.m. that afternoon, a passerby on an ATV discovered a burned-out car in a remote section of Houston and reported it to police. Earlier that day, at around 10 a.m., the authorities had also been alerted to smoke in that same area, but dismissed the report assuming that someone was burning brush. When police and fire personnel arrived at the scene, they were greeted with a horrible sight. Seated in the car behind the steering wheel was a body burned so badly it was unrecognizable. Sadly, before long, 
Authorities were able to identify the car as Mary Henderson Morris's Chevy Lumina, and they assumed the body inside might be the remains of Mary Henderson Morris. But due to the condition of the body, they had to use tooth fragments to verify that they were correct. And after a three-day process, they finally verified that the remains were indeed Mary Henderson Morris's. The news was devastating to Mary's family. Mary's cause of death wasn't able to be determined because the fire had made that impossible. But investigators made a troubling discovery. Mary's Chevy Lumina had been set on fire with a powerful accelerant. Police now felt that they had a murder on their hands. Further investigation revealed that although melted, some of Mary's jewelry was in the car. Because of that, they didn't feel that robbery was a motive. But oddly, Mary's wedding ring appeared to be missing. Police later questioned Mary's husband, Jay, asking him to recount the timeline of October 12th. Jay told police that around 6 a.m., Mary drove off for work. He watched her head in the same direction that she always did and lost sight of her heading towards a gas station where she regularly got gas. A worker at that gas station recounted seeing a woman who he thought might be Mary that day, but store surveillance video had been recorded over, so police couldn't verify the sighting. Investigators didn't have much else to go on, and Mary Henderson Morris's family and friends had no idea who would want to kill her or why. By all accounts, Mary was a friendly and well-liked person with no enemies. As the investigation into her death continued, her family dealt with the sad and difficult process of laying Mary to rest. Four days after Mary Henderson Morris died, she was laid to rest on October 16th. Following the funeral, Mary's daughter Marilyn called the medical examiner's office to make arrangements to retrieve her mother's jewelry. This is where Mary's case gets even stranger. After some initial confusion, Marilyn was told that she could pick up her mother's jewelry after the funeral. Marilyn thought that the person on the other end of the phone was confused and told them that her mother had just been buried. The person Marilyn was talking to on the phone actually was confused. He still had the body of a woman named Mary Morris who had just died. But it turned out that the Mary Morris he was talking about was a different Mary Morris a woman named Mary McGinnis Morris. And like Mary Henderson Morris, she had died a violent death in the Houston area only three days later. Mary McGinnis Morris was found shot to death in her car. There's some stunning and shocking parallels between the two women's deaths. Both had died violently only days apart in the Houston area. Both were discovered in their cars, and both were missing a wedding ring. Additionally, the women both resembled each other to an extent. Needless to say, the similarities between these two deaths caught the attention of both police and both women's families. Could there be a connection between the deaths of both women? There's certainly some things that would make you think that. And although I can't dive into the full extent of the possible connections between the deaths of both Marys, their cases have inspired countless online discussions among citizen sleuths on sites like Reddit. The TV show Unsolved Mysteries also featured the murders of Mary Henderson Morris and Mary McGinnis Morris on one of their episodes. If you'd like to listen to an in-depth examination and discussion of the Mary Morris murders, please go check out my other podcast, Criminology. We covered the Mary Morris murders in great detail in episode 50 of the podcast. It's approaching 19 years since Mary Henderson Morris died in a secluded area of Houston before her body was set on fire and left to burn. Sadly, for Mary's family, they may not be any closer to finding out the truth about what happened to Mary. Mary's daughter Marilyn joined me to discuss the puzzling and confusing details surrounding her mom's death, and she shares with us her thoughts about the case, as well as some of her own suspicions. That conversation is coming up in a moment. 
If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Marilyn, for coming on to discuss your mom's case with us today. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about your mom and what kind of person she was. Oh, my mom was a pretty energetic person, to say the least. Um, She was one of those people that was always on the go. Um, You really never knew what you would find her doing. Um, You know, she may be one day at the racetrack, um, you know, watching a dirt track race, and the next day she may be at a craft show um, or at the park with the grandkids. She was just always doing something, staying busy. She loved her grandkids, her family, um, and really put everyone, you know, before herself. She's extremely unselfish. And do you have any specific, like, special memories or... Uh, things that stand out about her that you always think about? Uh, Well, I have to say a lot of people are really surprised um, when I tell them, you know, my mom used to drive demolition derby cars. You know, she was a really petite, sweet um, person. Um, But I think she had that little daring side. So, you know, the memories that stand out to me were um, she drove a demolition derby car in the Astrodome. Um, and, you know, as a kid, I was so impressed with that. And, you know, those memories still are really vivid and special to me um, because it's just one of those things you just never expect, you know, a mom to be doing, um, you know, but she definitely did. And, and she was just fun. She was what, you know, I can't think, you know, of just one isolated memory because there's so many. She was always making me laugh. Um she was just a, a great mom and a fantastic grandmother. It sounds like she was really outgoing and, and made the most of, of her days. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, even when it came to something like, you know, Halloween at work, she was the person that you didn't even recognize her when she walked in because, you know, she was dressed from head to toe. Um, and she was just outgoing in everything she did. So it seems like she was friendly and well-liked, no enemies that you knew of that might have had any kind of uh, negative feelings towards her or might have wanted to hurt her? No, no, never. If you can, take me back to the day when this whole nightmare started for you. Um, Well, at the time, I mean, I was in my 20s, and so I was in... Um, college at the time and I you know the first thing that um, kind of alerted me that there was a problem was I received a call from my stepdad her husband at the time Jay Morris that um, you know he was telling me that she didn't you know he found out that she didn't make it to work that day Um, and honestly for us that's when the nightmare began But in that moment, we just really had no idea what we were, you know, looking at. We, you know, we live in Houston, a major metro city. We thought, or at least I thought, you know, she's been in an accident or her car was stalled on the freeway or something like that, just something really minor. Um, But, I mean, I received that call, you know, 3.30, 4 in the afternoon, um, and I think it was that evening um, around like 9 p.m. that we got confirmation that the Harris County Sheriff's Department had found my mom's burned car in Baytown. And it wasn't like your mom to not show up for work without calling. It was pretty alarming that she just didn't show up that day. Oh, very alarming. Um, she had worked for the bank for 16 years at that time um, and had really, you know, that was like her second family. So she, you know, had friends there that she was very close to and her, you know, had good relationships with everyone. 
So if anything was, you know, going on, even if she was going to be late, um, you know, she would have called. She was one of those people that has always been a hard worker, good work ethic. So she wouldn't just not show up to work. So you wound up going out to look for your mom. You drove with your stepfather. Tell me about that ride in particular. Did something about it strike you as odd? And did it strike you as odd right early on? Or was it later looking back at it that something felt odd to you? Well, I um, that day I had to wait till my daughter got off the bus. And while I was waiting um, for my daughter to get home from school, I had started making um, phone calls to hospitals asking if, you know, they hadn't, um, you know, an admission for either a Mary Morris or even a Jane Doe. Um, you know, my family, we um, grew up in the wrecker business. My dad and my mom owned um, like a tow truck business all throughout my childhood. So I was kind of, fam- you know, I'm kind of familiar with you know, the process of if there's an accident or, and I was a nurse. So, you know, those things come to mind. So I just did what was second nature to me and started making phone calls. Um, one of the first people that I actually called that day while I was waiting on my daughter to get home was my biological dad, Joe Henderson. And I asked him to call, you know, his wrecker friends. He had a lot of police friends from being in the business um, to see if they had towed a a car that could have been my mom's Chevy Lumina. Um, And like I said, when I got phone with him, I started calling hospitals and things like that. But once my daughter got home, you know, I quit making the phone calls and rushed over to her house. And honestly, by the time I got there, I just expected her to be there. Um, And when she was, and I asked my stepdad if, you know, we could go to her job. Um, Because when I got to his house, the police were there and they were taking up, you know, he was following a missing persons report when I actually arrived there. Um, and the police, you know, took the missing persons report, but they didn't seem to make a big fuss about it. They took the information um, and they left. And when they left, he and I got in his truck um, with uh, my kids and we drove to started making the drive to my mom's job. And by this time, you know, we were in, Houston rush hour traffic. So, um, you know, it was freeways were a little bit congested, but, you know, as we're driving there, I'm looking on the side of the road for any debris that could have been from an accident or her car on the side of the road, things like that. Um, and, you know, we never spotted anything like that. Um, and so we made it all the way to her job. We drove through her parking garage. Um, and, you know, we never, we didn't see her car. Obviously, it wasn't there. Um, so then we left there and started heading back to her house. Um, and I mean, me, I guess, you know, the only thing that was strange to me is I guess I would have been flying. I had my emergency blinkers on because I, I wanted to get to her job. Um, I think when something like that happens, you really have the a normal expectation in your head. You don't think the worst. You think everything's going to be fine. It's a misunderstanding. She's going to be where she's supposed to be. Um, so the whole time, I just wanted to get to her work and see she was there. And this was just a big mistake. Um, but obviously, that didn't happen. And the route that you took, was there anything unusual about the route or anything that stood out to you about the route? Um when we went to her job, we just took the normal route that she would take, which um, my, in Houston, my mom lived in Baytown, but she worked in Houston and she would, she lived off of I-10 and worked off of I-10. So she, for her to get to work was really just a straight shot up the freeway. And so going that, that route to her job and back, there wasn't anything that we saw that was um, out of the ordinary. And did that route take you along a road that her car was eventually found on? No. Now that happened later in the evening when we got, when we um, got back to her house, um, I, we had just got to her house and Jay's daughter and my mom's stepdaughter was there. And 
we probably hadn't walked in the door maybe five or ten minutes, and I actually received a telephone call from my dad, Joe, because like I said, I had called him earlier. Um, and my dad actually is the first person who alerted me to the possibility of anything bad. My dad um, called me and told me that um, he had a friend that worked for a local news station that reported to him that there was a burned car found on Crosby, Lynchburg, and I-10. Um, so no, I didn't want to really alarm anyone else. Um, so I asked Jay, hey, you know, like I said, at this time, your heart's starting to beat a little bit faster. I was kind of on edge a little bit. And I'm like, you know, come on, let's go. Let's go. And I think he gave me that look, like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, you know, just come on, come with me. Let's go. But I, I didn't want to take my kids with me. Um, and so, you know, he came outside and I told him that was my dad. And my dad reported that they found a burned car on Crosby Lynchburg in I-10. You know, we got to get there. Um, and so, I mean, since I had a sense of urgency, I wanted to drive at that time. So I got into my truck and he got in the passenger seat. Um, and I guess, like I said, at, at this time, my heart's starting to beat a little bit faster. I guess I'm not thinking as clearly. And I asked him to, you know, just get me there. Tell me where to go. Um, I am familiar with Baytown. Um, I'm familiar with the area she lives in. I'm familiar with Crosby Lynchburg and I-10 because that is the exit that we would have just gotten off of to go to my mom's house. But like I said, I, at that point, you know, it kind of flipped a switch and I probably wasn't as clear as I needed to be in that moment. So, you know, my stepdad has given me directions and I'm following them. And um, he takes me down a road, which I've, I've never been down before. Um, and it was less than five miles from my mom's house and I by this time it's dark it was October and I just remember the road was a two-lane road and I remember being at a stop sign because you know there are some things that are going to stick out and events that happened that night that I'll never forget and I remember sitting at that stop sign it was a four-way stop and I remember looking over my shoulder and I saw an overpass and I was had enough sense about me to think I-10 is a freeway. I'm looking for an overpass. I'm looking for like a major intersection. And I kept asking my stepdad if I needed to turn. Do I need to turn? Do I need to turn? And I, he kept telling me to go straight at this four-way stop. And I was like, no, I mean, do I need to turn? I need to turn. And he's like, no, go straight. I mean, he was probably confused but as to what I was asking, but... In my mind, I was looking for an overpass for the freeway because my dad told me I-10 in Crosby Lynchburg. But I, I listened to my stepdad, and I went straight at that four-way stop. And when I went straight, it probably wasn't a half mile later um, that over on the left-hand side of the street, I just saw a single um, police car sitting in a what was a driveway parked in front of like a farm gate and I pulled in behind that police car. And that turned out to be the scene of your mom's car being found. Yes. Um, you know, when I turned in, you couldn't see anything um, because the car was probably, I'm going to say 50, anywhere between 50 to a hundred yards off the road. Um, behind some trees and so you couldn't see any of the activity that was going on from where we were parked on the street um, but when I pulled in behind the officer he immediately came to the window and you know asked can I help you and I, I told him that my mom had been reported missing and I was told that there was a burned car in, in Baytown and I needed to know if it was here or if he knew where it was and um, he didn't immediately tell me, yes, it's here. He just kept telling me, well, if that's the case, ma'am, you know, you need to go home and the police will contact you if they find her. And being persistent, I am my mother's daughter. I, I, I just kept asking him and I really wouldn't leave. Um, and so finally he did tell me, yes, there is a burned car there. Um, you know, they, they haven't 
said there's anybody in the car. He's just trying to keep the scene safe um, and that, you know, the police will contact me. Um, so, I don't know, I guess at that moment, just knowing, you know, the police were there, I I don't know, and still I guess I wasn't thinking the worst. I, I went back home to their house. Um, and when we got back to the house, it probably wasn't 15 minutes at that point that um, there was a knock on the door and it was the sheriff's department to tell us that um, they had found a burned car and that they thought it was my mom's car and that they thought that there was remains in the car. And um, they confirmed that, you know, and they had asked, you know, had we went out to a scene you know, where, where the car was. And I told him, yes. And then, um, you know, that's how we realized where the car was. So at, at that point, as soon as you find out that you, they think it's your mom's car, you're obviously, uh, panicking and upset. What was your stepdad's reaction? How was his reaction to that news? He was extremely calm. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's the country boy in him or not. I mean, I was at this point, I was beside myself. Um, I'd like to think I'm one of those people that usually does stay pretty calm under pressure, but this is a really different situation. Um, and there was no containing my emotion. You know, she was my mom. And um, I just know that I was just grief stricken, even though, you know, in the back of my mind, I guess I was holding out some hope because they couldn't tell me that that was her in the car. All they could tell me that there was a burned car and that they believed that there were remains in the car. Um, but pretty much once they said it was her car, I was pretty upset, but my stepdad was pretty calm, um, the whole time. And I have to say that really, um, is I think that set off alarms immediately in the detective's head. Um, and they immediately asked us if we would accompany them to the sheriff's department, the Harris County Sheriff's Department office. Let's go back earlier to that day, uh, to something that the the police would find out. And Jay mentioned there was an odd interaction between your mom's employer, the bank, and your stepfather when she didn't show up for work. The bank called home and your stepfather answered and they asked if your mom was home and and Jay essentially said no, she was at work. But the weird part is that when he said she was at work, the bank hung up without saying that your mom ever showed up and your stepfather didn't ask who was calling. Did you think that interaction was a little bit weird and do you have any kind of explanation for how that conversation went like that? Um. I mean, no, to me, that's weird because I'm thinking, you know, if the bank is, number one, they they knew her, they were very familiar with her. So in my mind, if they're calling the house looking for her, I would think red flags are going up for them also at this point. So if they were to call her house and they, you know, her spouse says she's at work, I I would think... You know, he's the emergency contact. If she's not there, I would have thought they would have immediately told him, you know, no, she didn't come to work and then, you know, proceed from there. You know, I know he had reported that he called her job several times that day, um, but couldn't reach her because her voicemail, um, he couldn't reach her. And when he was calling, it was like immediately going to voicemail. And apparently the phone systems at the bank in the evening, they automatically roll over to voicemail after hours and you have to manually turn that off each morning when you come to work. Um, And he was saying that apparently she didn't turn off her voicemail, which to me that would have something so out of the ordinary, it would have, you know, made me maybe inquire a little bit more um, something like that. But And even as an employer, if I called someone that was not at work that I was expecting to be here and they would say, you know, no, they're at work, you know, that would have sent up red flags for me. And I guess if they were calling me about my spouse and someone was calling for her and I, 
I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know if I would just answer. She's at work. If I haven't been able to reach her all day, I would have been concerned about her at this point. Yeah, and that's what I, I mean. I was thinking if, if the bank is concerned about your mom enough to call home when her husband answers and said she's not here, um, why wouldn't they say we're concerned about her? She didn't show up and, and let your stepdad know. Um, and then on, on his end, and, and maybe not everybody does this, if somebody calls here and asks for my wife, I won't just say she's not here, have a nice day, and hang up. I, I'll ask who's calling. Um, so not that that's anything sinister, but I always wondered why the bank wouldn't alert him that something was wrong, that she hadn't shown up for work earlier. Correct. And like I said, I think I would have been alert too as the spouse, knowing I couldn't reach my wife all day. Um, you know, not, you know, who is this? What are you calling about? Yeah, I would have probably, that would have made me a little bit more inquisitive than the normal everyday telephone call. If I'm, already should have a little bit of concern because I haven't been able to reach my spouse all day. Yeah. And at some point you think maybe he's going to call the main number and say, Hey, I can't get a hold of her. Can you tell me if she's around? Um, so, so that whole conversation, the whole phone call was, was a little bit uh, alarming. And I just wanted to ask you about that. Eventually you found out that the, the remains in the car were your mom. They had to identify her uh, through dental records how how tough was that for you? How devastating was that news to get? Mm, um, that was probably one of the harder moments. Um, you know, I think that that kind of immediately made me um, pretty horrified to know that you know, her, she was in such a horrible condition that they couldn't tell me immediately that that was her. And then, you know, we had to live in suspense, um, for probably a little bit longer because, you know, we didn't know right away. You know, you always hold out hope until you, um, you know, someone can tell you 100%. I'm a, I'm usually a pretty black and white thinker and, and I like to see for myself. And that was a situation that, um, you know, I definitely couldn't see for myself, and it was just hard to imagine that, um, you know, that was the only way to identify her. And any death, is it must be hard to take for someone, but to, to have that happen it just seems especially difficult to to take in. How, how was Jay's attitude, and how was he reacting at this time when – when they confirmed that it was your mom in the car? Um, I, I, I don't, I wasn't with him. Um, I received a phone call from the sheriff's department, um, letting me know that they had confirmed that those were her remains from the dental records. Um, but I can say that throughout the entire ordeal, I never saw the man shed a tear or show any real emotion, to be honest. And I know that you can't always judge someone by the way they react to, to different situations like that, but it's still, as you mentioned, the police seem troubled by his lack of a, a response. Um, you had the funeral. You, you went through that whole, whole ordeal of, of having the service for your mom, and then you went into the uh, medical examiner's office. Is that correct? Well, it actually, that whole situation was triggered because um, I, I had asked the um, funeral home. A, a, my, we had got my mother a, a blue coffin. Um, she loved blue. It was her favorite color. And I, I guess in those situations, there's things that are really important to you. And I'm sure that's very personal for each person. Um, but somehow it came up when we were at the funeral home that my mom's remains would not be able to be in the casket during the service because of the smell. Um, and so like I said, I'm a detailed person. I want to know, and that was my mom. And I think I probably am not the only person and, 
you know, although some people may think it gruesome or I, it was certain things were just very important to me. Um, and one of the things that was important to me that, you know, in their discussions, they informed me that, you know, they would, we would have the service. She wouldn't be present. Um, they would ask, everyone would go outside and they would place the body bag in the coffin. Well, it was important to me that my mom not be buried in a body bag. In a, in a plastic body bag is just not the way that I think anybody should be laid to rest. So I asked that they remove her remains and they place them on the, you know, in the coffin like anybody would be. Um, and there was a, you know, they were having some difficulty with that, but it was important for me. So I kind of pressed the issue and they agreed. But because they were somewhat hesitant, I needed to see it. I needed to know that my mom was buried the way that I would think she wanted to be buried. So um, after they put her remains in the coffin, I asked them if I could see her, and they told me yes, and they gave me a few extra minutes with her. Um, And I was the only person that asked for that. Um, So they allowed me to come in and spend a few minutes with her and let me verify that her remains were not in a body bag. And in that moment, I... I had asked, well, where's her jewelry? Because I had asked that her jewelry be buried with her. Um, because it had, um, it was revealed that her jewelry was on her person. Um, at least most of it, from what we knew, um, was on her person when they found her remains. And um, the funeral home had informed me that they didn't receive any jewelry from the medical examiner's office when they picked her remains up. Um, but, I mean, in that moment, there was there was nothing that we could do. Um, we couldn't hold up the, you know, the rest of the service because um, we were in, obviously, Baytown. She was in, the medical examiner was in Harris County, so we proceeded with, with the burial at that time. Um, and after the burial, when we got back to the house, I called the Harris, I immediately called the Harris County Medical Examiner's Office and asked them um, for my mother's jewelry. And that's kind of when your head, my head began to spin because um, after much confusion with the medical examiner, they put me on hold several times. They were sounding confused. Um, They informed me that, you know, I could pick up her jewelry when I picked up the remains. And I informed them that no, you know, we've already picked up the, the funeral home, picked the remains up. We've already had her service. Now I just need to come, need to know where I need to go, what I need to do to come pick up the jewelry. And, you know, more confusion. They put me on hold, um, back and forth. They get a supervisor on the line, and the supervisor explains the same thing. You know, when the remains are picked up, you know, we'll give the jewelry and all the belongings to the funeral home. And I, again you know, explained that my mom, we had just had her funeral. And the supervisor told me, no, that Mary Morris's remains were still at the Harris County Medical Examiner's office. And that's when things really got confusing for you. Extremely confusing. Um, Because, I mean, I was there. I, I was devastated. I saw what I knew to be my mom's remains. Um, and then the, I have this person on the phone telling me that, no, Mary, you know, Mary Morris is at their office. Um, and to say the least, they're, you know, they put me back on hold. Um, I'm pretty sure they were extremely confused also. And, um, you know, it, it took a little bit of question answering, you know, how, how did she die? Um for me to explain what happened. And then, you know, they were able to come back on the line. And then they told me that the Mary Morris at the medical examiner's office was a different Mary Morris. It wasn't my mother. And that, did that immediately strike you as odd or were you still in shock that that the name being the same didn't really catch your attention at that time? Well, it was, I mean, it, it struck me as odd, but of course, I'm thinking, you know, oh, that poor Mary Morris was probably a 97-year-old lady that lived a full life and died in her sleep. You know, I, I surely never 
imagine that there would be another Mary Morris that had a, a tragic death, you know, that would rival with what I had just lived through. You know, what are, what are the chances of two Mary Morrises murdered? So, so close no. to each other and, and in a violent end like that, you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, just the name is coincidental enough, but the, the manner of death to be as tragic and, you know, to be considered homicide, that, that was just too far-fetching to wrap my head around. And once you found out that it wasn't a case of her dying at an old age, that she had died a violent death, did that trigger anything in you that, hey, there might be something going on here? Well, you know, the funny thing is the first time that that evening I'd actually seen a news segment and it was the strangest thing. I remember I was standing in my kitchen and the news was on and they were talking about Mary Morris being, you know, being murdered. And she, this Mary Morris, and she was in her car and she was murdered and they're searching for suspects and they started to give details. And I thought, oh, my gosh, the news channel, you know, typical news, they've got it all wrong. And the strangest thing is I even glanced up, and I remember a flashing picture of Mary Morris that died in a different manner than my mom did. And it didn't even strike me that it was a different person. I just thought the news got the details wrong. Um, But when I found out that that is how the Mary Morris that, was that the medical Harris County Medical Examiner's Office died and that both of those females had died from a homicide, I have to say that I, I don't know, I was dumbfounded. I immediately, my mind began to race, like, what is going on? What is this? Um, how is this even possible? I mean, everything from this, this is just not really happening um, to this is just a mistake. Um, somebody wrote the name wrong. I mean, just everything starts running. It just didn't make any sense. It was not logical at all. So the Houston police investigated the murders of your mom's death, and which I guess they couldn't even determine her cause of death. But Mary McGinnis Morris, they definitely knew immediately it was a homicide. Um, two different detectives investigated each case. Is that correct? Yeah, and it was the Harris, actually, they both ended up um, being investigated by the Harris County Sheriff's Department um, because they weren't, like, in city limits. Um, But, yes, it was two different detectives, both with the Harris County Sheriff's Department. Um, And, like I said, my mom, they they could never confirm an actual um, cause of death. But they knew hers was a homicide. They, they had no mistake. You know, that's definitely not a suicide, an accident. Um, you know, they immediately knew that they were looking at a homicide. And obviously with Mary McGinnis' Morris's case, you know, a gunshot wound, they um, were pretty sure that they were looking at a homicide case. And did you think it was good that they separated the cases and tried to work them separately to see if they came to the same conclusions or same uh, potential suspects or anything like that? Or, or were you happy they were separated like that? Or would you have preferred that they combine them and, and work them as one single investigation? No, well, I think it was good that they separated them because I, I think that they collaborated Amongst them, so I think that there were really more detectives than just, say, the two that were working on my mom's case and the two working on Mary McGinnis's Morris cases. I, case, I think they really collaborated a lot, so I think it was good that there were different detectives assigned to each one. Um, but I don't even know that they immediately knew of the other Mary McGinnis Morris murder. Yeah, so they may have started her investigation separately after your mom's case was already being started. Yeah, I'm not sure when. Yeah, I'm not sure when they really it hit them that oh wait a minute. Um, but I do know that in talking to them, you know, they immediately the sheriff's department didn't feel that there there was a connection. Um, you know, they they explored, they asked a lot of questions about. Um, 
everything from like places that they could have went, um, you know, that shared locations they may go to, whether it be a store or bingo or, um, I, I don't know, recreational activities, everything. And they really couldn't find anything, um, that would have even put them in the same place at the same time, the same part of town, you know, nothing like that. They couldn't find any coincidental activities or relation, you know, to kind of link the two together. And as these cases began sort of connected, whether they were actually connected in reality or not, they sort of became connected over the years, your mom's murder and Mary McGinnis Morse's murder. And you found yourself um, sort of connected to Mary McGinnis Morse's daughter, who we invited to come on the podcast, but she declined. Uh, can you tell us if between you all, between you and her, have you ever compared notes or theories? And if so, what kind of things did you consider? Um, You know, I, I have, I've probably talked to, I, in the beginning, I, the first person I met was Lori Gimmel, which was Mary um, McGinnis Morris's friend. Um, and, and that's the first person I met on, on one of the shows that we did. Um, and then the second person that I met was um, Mary McGinnis Morris's sister, Stephanie. And I actually ended up moving to West Virginia and was very, was pretty close to her um, in proximity. We would even run into each other at, at the local Walmart because it was a pretty small town. Um, and so we've definitely compared stories and um, we, we couldn't find any similarities between the two of them either. But as far as, as you know, really spending a lot of time talking to Katie you know, my heart just goes out to her. She was so young um, that we've, I've, I mean, I've met her face to face, but, um, you know, we, we've never gotten into that, that type of a conversation. I, I don't even know if I could go there with her because I, you know, my heart just breaks for her. And it's, it's no secret that a lot of people online and, you know, publicly and some of the TV shows have raised questions about, uh, Mary McGinnis Morris's husband, Mike, uh, as possibly being a suspect in the case. He's looked suspicious to some people for different reasons, for not cooperating, for not being clear about phone calls that he supposedly had. Um, the popular theory out there is that someone possibly, Mike Morris, wanted his wife dead and hired someone to do it, and that they killed the wrong Mary Morris and killed your mom accidentally and then corrected it later when they killed Mary McGinnis Morris. It seems like it could be far-fetched, but what do you think of that whole possibility? I mean, I think that if the reasons that, and, and I've, you know, I've read the blogs um, frequently, unfortunately, I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts, um, and I just think that, you know, I, I can't tell you who did it or who didn't, um, but I can tell you that if people suspect Mike Morris because of his lack of cooperation or things he did would or wouldn't do, then they should just as equally suspect Jay Morris and my mother's murder. Um, and I mean, I don't, I originally, you know, I think I could say I question the coincidence, but you know, and looking at the cases and knowing some of the details, I think both of these homicides were extremely personal. Um, and I, I don't know that they were carried out by such a bumbling hitman, as most people would theorize, that was so inept that he completely initially killed the wrong person. I mean, whoever did this went through a lot and made a whole lot of effort um, to kill both of them. I, I don't think any one of these ladies was an easy target. Um, and or, or, you know, 
I, I don't know. I just can't imagine that someone who killed either one of them um, and went to the extent that they did was someone who would have just got the wrong person. I just can't see that happening. If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. And you mentioned that Jay Morris could be considered as easily a suspect for uh, as Mike Morris. Tell us a, a little bit about some of your stepfather's movements and actions, what he did following your mom's funeral in the in the weeks afterwards. Well, you know, and I know you had mentioned earlier, was there anything that, um, you know, afterwards that just made me, I don't know, felt weird or that I questioned or, um, you know, the, the one thing that I was saying, you know, really stuck out to me was when I, I was at that four-way stop sign or that four-way stop and I'm asking him about turning to go towards the overpass, which I now know to be a train trestle. Um, I, I, I don't know why he told me to go straight. Because, you know, what I later realized is that the street we were going down wasn't Crosby Lynchburg, the road that my dad told me the burned car was on. Um, so I don't really even know how we got to that location because um, it just doesn't match what my dad my dad told me. And, and I actually have the tape. It's a VHS tape from the news crew, the, uh, you know, the raw footage. And it's listed as Crosby Lynchburg. Um, and her car wasn't on Crosby Lynchburg. It was on Crosby Cedar Bayou. Um, so, so even though the news got it wrong and had the wrong street name, your stepfather seemed to take you to the right location. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, you know, I was mentioning about, you know, things that happen that really stand out to you. Now, I, I remember when the police, the sheriff's department came to our house, came to their house, you know, and was asking for a, a photo of my mom for the news. And um, they were just asking random questions. And one of the questions they had asked were um, if they ever drove down that road. Was that a normal route that she would take? Um, did Jay ever go down that road? Um, and of probably of all the questions that I ever heard him answer, the one that sent chills down my spine is in that moment when he told the sheriff's department that yes, he went down that road and he had actually driven down that road that morning. So the, the very day that this happens to your mom, Jay says he was down that road earlier that day. Correct. And I guess to me, it, it it did something to me and made me feel a certain way because, you know, if that was me and I guess I was feeling that, I, it would tear me up. It would tear me up to know that I was right there. Whether it be minutes or hours, I was right there while the person I dearly loved was dying or being killed or dead, you know, 50 to a hundred yards from me. I don't know that I could live with that. I, that, that would tear me up. But for someone to passively say, Oh yeah, you know, I was, I drove down that road that morning. Um, that, that struck me as odd. And I, I think it struck the sheriff as odd also. Um, I, I think especially and, when you consider that there was a reported, uh, smoke, seen in that area that morning. Yeah. It, I, I don't know exactly, you know, what time he went down that road. Um, but I mean, I know what the 911 call came in at 1020 in the morning and, you know, I know he would have been going down that road in the morning. Um, 
you know, he never mentioned seeing smoke. He never, you know, I I don't know. I guess I would have been proclaiming, like, I I didn't even see her car that day or I, I don't know. I guess everyone does have a different reaction, but I think knowing I was that close to her would have triggered something kind of different in me. Um, After your your mom's laid to rest, how after that weeks months, how does Jay handle it? Is he upset? Is he depressed? What was his uh, attitude like? What was he doing in his life following that? Well, I, I can't say that he was any of those things. Um, I think the only thing I remember him really expressing is, um, you know, the police did ask him to take a lie detector test, and he didn't want to do that. Um, And he didn't want to do that because he said as a child, as a teenager, not as a child, as a teenager, he had worked for a small store um, in the small town he grew up in. And apparently someone was stealing from the store and they made them take lie detector tests and they failed them back then. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know many convenience stores now that would give lie detector tests for stealing, much less, you know, when he was a teen. Um. But, I mean, I do, I think he was bothered by that. Um, But I I know, you know, he was pretty calm and collected the whole time. Um, Very soon after the funeral, I know the um, sheriff's department, after they, you know, collected all the evidence um, that they needed, um, he immediately signed the title over to the car. I I didn't even get to see it. and I'm I'm talking like immediately, immediately within days. Um, he um, cleaned out all my mother's belongings. I I didn't have the option to go through her clothing or any. And I was her only daughter. Um, and me and my mom were pretty close um, growing up. You know, my when my parents divorced, it was I, I have a brother, but my brother lived with my dad, and I lived with my mom. Um, and so we, we were pretty close, and I can honestly say, um, I guess I would have had the expectation, you know, that I would have been allowed to go through her belongings. Um, but, you know, that didn't happen, and, you know, I, I, I can't tell you exactly when he, you know, started trying to settle the estate, but I, I know that was pretty important to him. Um, and maybe I was dragging my feet, but you know, at some point he did get an attorney to contact me to tell me that I really needed to sign the papers so that we could settle the estate. And I, I just wasn't ready. So, um, so I think, I mean, I think afterwards he was pretty calm and collected and pretty matter of fact, like I said, I, I never saw him shed a tear afterwards. So while you're still upset and dealing with the aftermath of, of your mother's death, he seems to be just going on with his life and, and, signing paperwork and just moving on. Yeah. I mean, well, before we settled her estate, he was already in the process of um, getting remarried. He had already courted um, a young lady from Russia and uh, I guess started her. I mean, he would have had to start her visa process pretty, pretty quickly. Um, Cause if I'm not mistaken, they were married with within the year of my mother's death. Wow. So not much time to, to mourn your mom, it seems like. No. Um, at least not for him. I mean, I, I still mourn her um, pretty regularly, but, you know, he moved on pretty quickly. Can you tell us about um, where the, ca- the case stands today as far as you understand it? Do investigators keep you up to date or stay in touch with you about what's going on in the investigation? Now, I haven't talked to them recently. Um, you know, the, the investigation definitely um, stalled because there was no evidence in my mom's case. Um, you know, her remains were burned very badly. The car was burned very badly. There really was no evidence left at all. Like I said, they really couldn't even identify, you know, what the exact cause of death was. Um, so, I mean, 
you know, the last time I talked to them, of course, you know, I, I've, I've brought it up to them. Um, the last time I talked to them too, you know, you, so you still think that there's no connection between the two cases and they've always affirmed that, no, they don't think there's a connection. Um, and that, you know, they haven't had any more leads. And that's really what's going to break the case for them is someone is going to have to talk. Um, as of right now, unless, you know, something changes, they're, they don't, they don't have the physical evidence. Um, it's going to really take someone stepping up and saying, hey, I saw this that day. Um, I saw her car. I saw her with a person, you know, or, or something like that. And do you still have, are you hopeful that the case will be solved despite the lack of uh, physical evidence, maybe? I am. I think you have to be. You know, you always hold out some hope um, because there just has to be some justice when something like this happens. Um, there just has to be. And I guess I just can't give up hope that one day somebody, even if it's on their deathbed, says, you know, hey, this is what happened. That's, I just want to know. I want to know why. Because that's something I just can't make sense of. You know, in life, you can always wrap your head around the fact that someone, you know, people die. But people aren't supposed to die like this. And then, you know, you just want to know why. You want answers because it's, it just doesn't make any sense. If someone listening out there does know anything about uh, your mom's case or Mary McGinnis Morris's case, for that matter, is, is there a number or a, a tip line down in the area that they can call with information? Oh yeah the the um, the best way um, to report any information is to call the seven one three two 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 TIPS, which is the Houston Crime Stoppers Hotline phone number. And we'll be sure to put that in the notes so that anyone listening can can find that easily. That would be great. And I appreciate you coming on so much to discuss your mom's case. I know after all these years, it still uh, is is tough for you. Uh, but I appreciate you coming on and, and letting us know who she was and what's going on with her case. Well, thank you. And, you know, I, I appreciate people wanting to talk about it. I know that there's a... You know, it's it's an interesting case. It it's you know what happened is strange. It's really out of the ordinary. But you know, I think it's important for people to remember that you know she was my mom. So when people have these theories and these off the wall philosophies that they want to brainstorm and share with people and talk about, her like you know she's a movie or a plot to a movie, you know that hurts because she still has family that. You know, we live with this every day, and that's tough. And just speaking of that, is there anything out there that you've read or heard that you know is untrue that you'd like to clear up and just so people know that it's it's not correct? Um, well, it's, this, is, this is real. This really happened. Um, I know there were several blog posts and responses that it's not real, that it's the plot to the Terminator movie. Um, and it is real. It's very real. And it happened, it happened to my mom and it happened to another little girl's mom. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing I want to clear up is that it really did happen and that we live with it every day. And, you know, I know that there was this, um, an, another show that talked about my mom's death and, you know, threw theories out there about things that they thought could have happened or, why someone would have burned her remains. And, you know, that's never been proven and it can never be. So, you know, I wish people would just think about those things before they throw them out there because, you know, we do listen. Katie listens. Um, Lori listens. You know, we we want to know um, and we appreciate that people are interested in the story because we hope talking about it will, you know, make somebody step up or... Um, you know, keeping the story out there is what may help us get leads in the case. But you know, I just wish people wouldn't, um, you know, talk about it like they're not real people because they were. Yeah, there's real victims and real consequences and, and real pain 
afterwards. Absolutely. Very much so. Even now. And it's, you know, I don't think that it, you know, some days are better than others. But yeah, there's still real pain. Me and in my mom's situation, you know, if anybody knew her or saw her that day, um, it was October the, tw- uh, gosh, October the 12th of 2000. Um, you know, she lived in Baytown. She was driving a Chevy Lumina. You know, if anybody saw her, thinks they saw her, you know, those are the people we need to step up. Those are the people that we need to make phone calls um, and just report what they saw. Even if we could put her in an area, um, you know, that would help. And I think that's the most important you know, things to us. Hopefully if anybody does have any information, they'll come forward and not, not hold on to that. I, I would hope so. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of the murder of my family. If you enjoyed this episode, please introduce a friend of the podcast and invite them to listen. And before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. <laughs>